Hello, everyone, and welcome to another episode of Monster Myth, giving a face to what goes bump in the night. And I'm Ben, and I'm joined again with Kevin. Say hi, Kevin. Hi, Kevin. You're master of the monster stories. You're not the master of the monster story. I am, too, the master of the monster stories. It stays in its place. (laughs) Welcome, welcome, welcome to another episode of Monster Myth. That's my line. Anyways, today's episode comes from China, just like most of Kevin's prostitutes. The name of this monster is the Changxi. The Changxi are what many describe as Chinese hopping vampires, which is literally what their name means, as they consume blood or life force, depending on the story, and, well, they hop. Like a bunny? No, not like a bunny. Like a kung fu grasshopper. Not <clears throat> as they traverse from spot to the next via hopping, their name does mean hopping ghost. Well, they do suck blood. They don't relate much to Western vampires besides that they are undead because their flesh is rotting and they dress as a Qing dynasty bureaucrat and they <laughs> appear more zombie-like as their movements are stiff and have to keep their arms up to maintain balance when that walks and requires heavy jerking to make any movement, much like Kevin does before bed. (laughs) Oh, Ben. They originate from the Qing dynasty, which, for all of you who don't know your Chinese history, is the first dynasty of China to unite the country. They can be found in many early texts of folklore, such as Zibu Yu, or roughly translated, what the master would not discuss, or Pu Song Ling's strange stories from a Chinese studio, and many more traditional texts. According to the Zaibu Yu, I hope either one of us are pronouncing that right, a person's hun is good, but his po is evil. His hun is intelligent, but his po is foolish. The hun leaves his body after death, but his po remains and takes control of the body. So the dead person becomes a Shang-Chi. I want to say most of these traditional texts are not translated. Even in Project Gutenberg, even on freaking Amazon. Most of this is in freaking Mandarin or Cantonese. And guess what, audience? I do not speak Mandarin or Cantonese. Maybe you should learn. Maybe you should learn how to read any language, Kevin. I'm pretty good with English. Really? And a little bit of Spanish, actually. Do you really speak Spanish? Tu tiene un pequeño pene. Baxter, you know I don't speak Spanish. The, the Changxi is a corpse reanimated by a Taoist priest. The priest commands the Changxi and directs it to a location for a proper burial. According to strangersbookshelf.wordpress.com, hopping vampires, also known as Changxi, which translates as stiff corpse, literally, are based on ghost stories from Chinese folklore. The creatures are technically not considered ghosts as their souls remain. They're more of a vampire and zombie mix, which is a decomposing corpse that feeds from our life force, known as our chi. Many speculations are in place, but the hopping motion probably arises from the idea that the Qing Dynasty burial garments were bound so tight that they could not walk. Another commonplace idea on why they hopped is that the corpse was still in rigor mortis. Unlike European vampire tales, where vampires were kept at bay by strings of garlic and the traditional cross, 
Chinese vampires needed Taoist and Buddhist magic, which was attached to their foreheads on sheets. This allowed the Taoist priests to gain control of their bodies and transport them to their burial location. This act was always performed at night when there was no chance of coming into contact with the living as the Chang Shi also detects the living by their breath. A person holding their breath would be rendered invisible. Kevin, how long can you hold your breath? Honestly, probably a minute and a half. A minute and 30 seconds, huh, Kevin? Yes, a minute and 30 seconds. Well, I guess you need to be able to hold your breath the way you give fellatio to men. All right! (laughs) Anyway. Well, how does one become a Chang-Chi? Well, there are several ways, usually involving their death, such as being unavenged, the disappointed, much like Kevin's wife at night, (laughs) those who have died by suicide, improperly buried, and many, many more. Like any person coming into contact with Ben. Yes, audience, that means I'm screwed. Anyway, like the Western vampire, those infected by the Jang Shi have a chance of turning into a hopping ghost. Also, like its Western counterpart, it rests during the day in a coffin or cave and hunts during the night. To make this creature even more nasty, it also appears with goop covering its body and fungus growing from decaying remains. Speaking as someone who often worries about fungal growth on their body, the Jang Shi should really be more proactive about that and get it checked and removed. He's so not kidding about him being someone who has to worry about it. There are ways to get rid of the hopping parasite. Now I'm at the Jang Shi, not what's growing on Ben. Spells can be written on rice paper and pinned on the Jang Shi's head to immobilize it. Much in the same way that the spells are printed on rice paper and pinned to the Jang Shi's head in order to move it. The spell must be written in chicken's blood. I mean, we all have chicken blood on hand, ready to go. I have two liters over there in the cabinet, just in case. Just in case. Well, you also confuse the Jiangxi with an eight-sided mirror, which almost sounds like it would be a great game. Confuse <laughs> the Jiangxi. You hold up one mirror on one side, I'll hold up one on the other, and we'll just kind of make it run back and forth What's between us. What's going on? <laughs> or if you want a more direct approach, impale them through their body the long way, and have the spear come out of their head. Wouldn't that pretty much kill anything? You would think. Well, you would think so. I mean, what doesn't die from being impaled through the head? Your mom. Yes, yes, that was a fellatio joke. I despise you. (laughs) I'll bet you do. And this brings us to the meat of the sandwich. Mm. The, are you thinking about meat and sandwiches? Maybe. The monster story. Thanks to Project Gutenberg, we have a domain-free story. Show some excitement, Kevin. Ooh. Ah. Domain-free. I find your lack of enthusiasm disturbing. You can't, you can't do that. that. That's copyright infringement. That it is, is not. That, yes, it is. It's a lack of faith. I. <laughs> Are you All right. Quite? All right. All right. 
this is... I will force choke you. You couldn't force choke me if you wanted to. Continue, please. I will. This one is actually about a vampire in China. As it doesn't directly say Jiangxi, but addresses the creature as a bloodsucker. Let's just assume it is a Jiangxi because... It was very, very hard to find a short story that was domain-free. <laughs> Kevin, entertain us. Sure thing, buddy. All right, this story comes from Strange, Strange Stories from the Lodge of Leisures, translated from the Chinese by George Sully of the French Consular Service in China. My apologies if I say that name incorrectly. Published by the Boston and New York Hopton Mifflin Company in 1913. The Corpse, the Blood Drinker. Night was slowly falling in the narrow valley. On the winding path cut in the side of the hill, about 20 mules were following each other, bending under their heavy load. The muleteers, being tired, did not cease to hurry forward their animals abusing them with coarse voices. Comfortably seated on mules with large pack saddles, three men were going along at the same pace as the caravan of which they were the masters. Their thick dresses, their fur boots, and their red woolen hoods protected them from the cold wind of the mountain. In the darkness, rendered thicker by a slight fog, the lights of a village were shining, and soon the mules, hurrying all together, jostling their loads, crowded before the only inn of the place. The three travelers, happy to be able to rest, got down from their saddles when the innkeeper came out on the step of his door and excused himself, saying all his rooms were taken. Said the innkeeper, I have still, it is true, a large hall the other side of the street, but it is only a barn, badly shut. I will show it to you. The merchants, disappointed, consulted each other with a look, but it was too late to continue their way. They followed their landlord. The hall that was shown to them was big enough and closed at the end by a curtain. Their luggage was brought, the bedclothes, rolled on the pack saddles were spread out, as usual, on planks and trestles. The meal was served in the general sitting room in the midst of noise, laughing and movement, smoking rice, vegetables preserved in vinegar, and lukewarm wine served in small cups. Then everyone went to bed. The lights were put out, and profound silence prevailed in the sleeping village. However, Towards the hour of the rat, a sensation of cold and uneasiness awoke one of the three travelers, named Wang Fu. His name translated means happiness of the kings. He turned in his bed, but the snoring of his two companions annoyed him. He could not get back to sleep. Again, seeing that his rest was finished, he got up, relit the lamp which was out, took a book from his baggage, and stretched himself out again. But if he could not sleep, it was just as impossible to read. In spite of himself, his eyes quitted the columns of letters laid out in lines and searched into the darkness that the feeble light did not contrive to break through. A growing terror froze him. He would have liked to awaken his companions, but the fear of being made fun of 
prevented him. By dint of looking, he saw at last a slight movement shake the big curtain which closed the room. There came from behind a crackling of wood being broken. Then a long, painful, threatening silence began again. The merchant felt the flesh thrill. He was filled with horror in spite of his efforts to be reasonable. He had put aside his book and, the coverlet drawn up to his nose, he fixed his large eyes on the shadowy corners at the end of the room. The side of the curtain was lifted. A pale hand held the folds. The stuff thus raised permitted a being to pass whose form, hardly distinct, seemed penetrated by the shadow. Happiness of kings would have liked to scream. His contracted throat allowed no sound to escape. Motionless and speechless, he followed with his horrified look the slow movement of the apparition which approached. He, little by little, recognized the silhouette of a female seen by her short quilted dress and her long, narrow jacket. Behind the body, he perceived the curtain moving again. The specter, in the meantime, bending over the bed of one of the sleeping travelers, appeared to give him a long kiss. Then it went towards the couch of the second merchant. Happiness of Kings distinctly saw the pale figure, the eyes from which a red flame was shining, and sharp teeth, half exposed in a ferocious smile, which opened and shut by turns on the throat of the sleeper. A start of the disturbed body under the cover... Then all stopped. The specter was drinking in long draughts. Happiness of kings, seeing that his turn was coming, had just strength enough to pull the coverlet over his head. He heard grumblings. A freezing breath penetrated through the wadded material. A paroxysm of terror gave the merchant full possession of his strength, with a convulsive movement, he threw his coverlet on the apparition, jumped out of his bed, and, yelling like a wild beast, he ran as far as the door and flew away in the night. Still running, he felt the freezing breath on his back. He heard the furious growlings of the specter. The prolonged howling of the unhappy man filled the narrow street and awoke all the sleepers in their beds, but none of them moved. They hid themselves farther and farther under their coverlets. These inhuman cries meant nothing good for those who would have been bold enough to go outside. The bewildered fugitive crossed the village, going faster and faster. Arriving at the last houses, he was only a few feet in advance and felt himself fainting. The road at the extremity of the village was bordered with narrow fields shaded with big trees. The instinct of a hunted animal drove on the distracted merchant. He made a brisk turn to the right, then to the left, and threw himself behind the knotted trunk of a huge chestnut tree. The freezing hand already touched his shoulder. He fell senseless. In the morning, in broad daylight, two men came to plow the field in this same field, were surprised to perceive against the tree a white form, and, on the ground, a man stretched out. 
This fact coming after the howling in the night appeared strange to them, so they turned back and went to the chief elder. When they returned, the greater part of the inhabitants of the village followed them. They approached and found that the form against the tree was the corpse of a young woman, her nails buried in the bark. From her mouth, a stream of blood had flowed and stained her white silk jacket. A shudder of horror shook the lookers-on. The chief of elders recognized his daughter, dead for the last six months, whose coffin was placed in a barn, waiting for the burial a favorable day to be fixed by the astrologers. The innkeeper recognized one of his guests in the man stretched on the ground, whom no care could revive. They returned in haste to find out what condition the coffin was. The door of the barn was still open. They went in. A coverlet was thrown on the ground near the entrance. On two beds, the great sun lit up the hollow and greenish aspect of the corpses whose blood had been emptied. Behind the drawn curtain, the coffin was found open. The corpse of the young woman evidently had not lost its inferior soul, the vital breath. Like all things deprived of conscience and reason, her ferocity was eager for blood. Kevin, would a jing shi be the scariest thing to wake you up in the middle of the night on your bed? Oh, no. I'm pretty sure that title still goes to you, Ben. Again, you appreciate where my hands go when I drink. I really don't. You shut your mouth. I will not. Anyway. Well, again, they don't directly call this vampire a jing shi, but... It's really the best I got, being that I had to find a short story, it had to be domain-free, and it had to be written in English. Well, to be completely fair to you, though, this monster does exactly fit the description of a Jiang Shi. It's not hopping. It is not hopping. I'll give you that. It could be hopping. It, <laughs> it could be hopping very fast after this guy. Hippity-hoppity. Oh, Lord. But here's, here's where it really does fall in line with the Jiang Shi. Um, the story indicates that the Jiangxi's soul was still in its body. Well, this demon's soul was still in its body, this corpse. So, in all essence, it does fit in with the description of a Jiangxi. Like a glove? Like a glove? Yes, Ben, it does. And in, in all honesty, um... It could very well have been hopping throughout the story. Hippity-hoppity. Yes, Ben, hippity-hoppity. It could very well have been hopping. The gentleman never said how it moved from body to body. I say a hip, a hop, a hippity, never mind. You know, there is one aspect that may show that it may not be a jeng shi, that it was not dressed in the garb of a Qing, uh, Qing dynasty bureaucrat. That is that is very accurate. The Jiang Shi was dressed in the burial garments of the Qing dynasty. Now, that being said, though, it could very well be assumed that 
just because this particular creature wasn't dressed in the burial garments of uh, a traditional Chang-Shi, couldn't it be assumed that possibly a Taoist monk could have used that magic, a magic rice sheet, and brought this corpse back to life? That's not actually how it works. A, Jiang, um, a Taoist actually doesn't reanimate the Jiangxi, but directs it back to a proper burying. Understood. Interesting. But was it wrapped tightly? <laughs> I don't know, Ben. So a Jiangxi can is wrapped and hit hops. So it wraps and... Hip-hops? Oh, Ben. Oh, me. Well, the Jiangxi can definitely be found in pop culture. Hong Kong cinema even had a genre of Jiangxi movies, much like our vampire films. They can also be found in animes and mangas. I have seen them several times in media, but hadn't recognized them for what they were until I started researching this podcast. Kevin! Have you ever heard of this vampire that goes a hippity hoppity? You know, in all honesty, I have not. Um, I I have seen quite a few monsters in the Asian cultures, but a hopping vampire has not been one of them. A hippity hoppity vampire? Yes, Ben. A hippity hoppity vampire. Now, I have seen this vampire in research, though. During research for this creature, we found a doctoral thesis discussing them. The title is The National Specificity of Horror Sources in Asian Horror Cinema by Danny Bowie, submitted as a dissertation for a doctorate in philosophy at Creative Industry Faculty. Despite the flaws, the legend of the seven golden vampires opened up a new avenue for horror filmmakers as it demonstrated that a mix of kung fu and horror had concocted a very interesting appeal for the audience. A few years later, this mixed genre became even more popular with the introduction of a grotesque yet appealing character, the Jiang Shi, the hopping corpse. I have earlier discussed the role of ghosts in Chinese horror cinema, but despite this tradition, there is surprisingly little use of the supernatural creatures of Chinese mythology in Hong Kong horror cinema. It is only in the later films, like Spiritual Boxer 2, 1979, that Hong Kong horror films began to draw on the rich Chinese heritage of such supernatural creatures as the Jiangxi. According to Stephen Teo, Lao Kar Lung's Spiritual Boxer 2 is the first Hong Kong film that depicts the Jiangxi archetype. The Jiangxi is an equivalent of the Western zombie in the earlier films. It acquires vampire attributes much later, possibly because of the influence of successful vampire films in the West. The Jiangxi became more ferocious and powerful in later films such as Samo Hong's Gui Da Gui, Encounters of the Spooky Kind, 1980. Elaborate methodologies to counter the wrath of the Jiangxi, such as glutinous rice, Chinese coins, and wooden swords were also showcased in this film. These methodologies were expertly executed by the Tianxi, Vampire Slayer, 
who usually dons the garb of a Taoist priest. The antagonist partnership between the Jiangxi and Tianxi became a prime feature in many Chinese horror films and television till the late 1990s. Once again, that excerpt coming from a dissertation submitted by Danny Bowie. Like David Bowie? Not, n- not quite, then. Like the Goblin King David Bowie? Not exactly. Anyway, so, Ben, have you ever seen any kung fu movies with vampires? I have not, and I am disappointed with myself. I, you should be. Have you seen any kung fu vampires? Yes. Are you lying to me? Yes. You will be hazed. So will you for not seeing kung fu vampire movies. Audience, we will properly haze ourselves due to our lack of vampire kung fu movies. I look forward to watching those. As do I. Well, that concludes another episode of Monster Myth. So, again, we have to ask the audience, talk about us, tell your friends about us, rate us with the five stars, only five stars, we love the five-star reviews. And if you have any suggestions for future monsters, just send us an email or send us a tweet on the Twitter. But make sure your suggestions aren't generic and crappy. I don't want to hear, hey, you guys should do a werewolf. Or, hey, you guys should do a vampire. Come on, there are so many types of vampires and werewolves and if we just stuck to the generic subgenre of monsters we would go freaking nowhere and this podcast would be over way too soon to give an example we just did this podcast a an example of a vampire but not just a just a vampire we also want to ask audience if you happen to make a suggestion and if you happen to have wrote a story about this monster and you want it to be read on the air, we would love to do it. It would make our job so much easier if you got a story with your permission to ready to read out loud. Please keep in mind, all of our, all of our material is domain-free, so we only ask that you give us permission to use your content. That sweet, sweet permission. If you like the show, leave a review on Stitcher or iTunes, as Ben previously said. And you can find us on Twitter at MonsterMythPod. And you can email us at MonsterMyth at Outlook.com. And we leave you with a question. Is hopping the most efficient mode of transportation? <laughs>